Coffee and Chromosomes is brought to you by the charity Wouldn't Change a Thing, creating a world where negative perceptions of Down syndrome are a thing of the past. If you would like to hear more about a certain topic or even from a particular individual, then please get in touch with us. Email us at podcast at wouldn'tchangeathing.org and we'll do our best to try and make it happen. it's Hamel and Nisha here with another episode of Coffee and Chromosomes. Now, as you all know, Coffee and Chromosomes is brought to you by the charity Wouldn't Change a Thing. What you might not know is that the charity was formed as a result of a video inspired by James Corden's Carpool Karaoke. You've probably seen it. It features 50 mums and their children with Down syndrome singing and signing. The video went viral and has been viewed more than 500 million times and has made headlines in 30 countries. Joining us today is Jamie McCallum, the man who three years ago somewhat reluctantly put his hand up to put the video clips together following a text from Becky Carlos, the brains behind the video. Here we are, three years on, Jamie is chairman and trustee of the charity. Jamie, welcome. How are you doing? How's the family? And more importantly, how's Rosie? Good evening, Nisha. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. I am very well, thank you. A bit refreshed. We had a, we've just finished half term in Scotland, so we went a little caravan holiday, which had its ups and downs, but it was good fun. Um, kids are a ball. Family's good, thank you for asking. And Rosie is as chaotic as ever. She's the life and soul of the party, as always. Well, bless her. Um, refreshed after half term, I mean, said no parent ever. (laughs) (laughs) And you really meant. (laughs) Um, So, Jamie, I guess a good place to start would be to take us back to the time shortly after the video was released uh, and became a viral hit. Uh, I know there was many a media moment that you had. I saw loads of you live on TV, which is quite exciting. What was going through your mind throughout that period? Well, I mean, we just had not anticipated anything like the um, the success that it had, obviously. I mean, who would? But I mean, what people don't realise is that before the fact, it was something that was just put together as a bit of fun for World Down Syndrome Day with an expectation of uh, being quite popular in the Down Syndrome community at best, really. You know, we just kind of thought that it would be a bit of fun. People would share it with their family and friends and that would kind of been it. And if, if I had a sort of overall objective in my mind, it was probably that you know, worldwide on World Down Syndrome Day, the, the sort of worldwide Down Syndrome community would have shared it quite a lot and dare I say it and knowing it existed, you know, and knowing about it. The, strange, the strangest moment, I think, was quite early on. I mean, I, I put it live at midnight and we kind of had a bit of a build up in, in our Facebook group where, it, where it, the idea had germinated. And lots of people sort of viewed it lots of times and uh, with a couple of thousand hits within an hour or so. And that was success for me. That was it. But what was really kind of odd was the next day, I dropped the kids off. I'd kind of forgotten about it almost. I dropped the kids off uh, and I went to a local cafe to send some emails and I could hear the, um, the music from the video coming out of someone else's phone in the cafe. And I thought, what a coincidence. You know, what a coincidence, I've just, we've just made this uh, video with that track on it and then someone's playing it out, out of their phone in, in the cafe and I, I looked, looked at my, my device and saw that it now had something like 300,000 hits and that was just sort of after school drop-off time that morning and I suppose that that was the first inkling that we might be in for a bit of a raid at that point. Amazing. And then how did you get from all of that to then ultimately setting the charity or being part of setting the charity up? I mean, the success of the video was what it was. Um, you know, once the, the, the media get their teeth into something like that, it just exploded. There was, a, you know, a couple of major milestones. I think probably the most major milestone would be James Corden himself sharing it. He's got an absolutely huge social media following. We, we, we kind of stuck to the line that, you know, we just cobbled this together, flung it up and, and you know, what happened, happened. Uh, there was a bit more thought to it than that, I would say. You know, it was, it was, um, it was, it was reasonably well, well organised when we were putting it together, but the likes of James Corbyn tweeting it um, was a result of Becky, who you mentioned earlier, and a little team of uh, determined mothers, most of whom were in the video, you know, absolutely haranguing um, any celebrity they could find on <laughs> on Twitter. That team exists to this day as part of the Change of Thing charity. It's now known as the Twitter Nazi and they, um, yeah. they, uh, they, it's, it's a technique. It's what, it's what, it's what they do. So I, th- I think it's more fair to say that James Corbyn gave in. He caved after, you know, tweeting him, tweeting all the people round about him, all of his producers. 
scissors and everything yeah. else. Never mess with a determined woman. <laughs> yes, yes, especially one with uh, uh, with children with learning difficulties, advocating for for, for them in that right. moment. I think so. But, yeah, I'd say in fairness, like, like I follow James Corden, like you will know, and as we all know, he's got millions and millions of followers. Yeah. I probably get harangued for lots of different things on mm. a regular basis. Mm. Actually, this is obviously hit a certain point and it's kind of something that clearly has pushed him to kind of share it and broadcast it broadly to his followers and stuff. So I think, I think there's a lot in it, right? I mean, we've got the benefit of hindsight now, haven't we? Um, uh, we we'd, have, we'd love with every video that we've produced since to have, have it so formulated that we could deliver that every time. I mean, you've got to, there's a bit of luck involved in this and, and sometimes you just stumble across something and there was a real beauty in the uh, how natural the shot was. I mean, I, I, know, I know people that are in TV and video and they, they just said we would have tried to make that too perfect. You know, there was just something about it that was just raw, raw enough. And you mentioned that obviously you've got the Twitterati that exists to this day. Tell us a little bit more about the charity, the setup. Who runs it? How does it work? Yeah, so I don't know if I fully answered your question before um, about how we got from from video to charity. Um, the path is a bit of an odd one, really, and it, it's been a very organic birth of an organisation. I would say the most, the most, you know, I, I mean that in the most literal way possible. I think it's um, at the time you know I set up a, I set up the, the web domain with the the wouldn't change a thing hashtag, which was the hashtag that featured at the end of the video. That came about. That was about the twentieth hashtag that I used. You know, so so I had sort of stress tested different hashtags on different groups, and um, some were jarring with people, some weren't getting. You know, some 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 of the hashtags people just weren't getting, or people inside the downside group community got it, but people outside didn't. And someone else that suggested would change a thing. I was asking, what would you say? You know, if um, the ideal thing for someone else, a member of the general public to say about about your child to show how accepted they were of them and that, you know, wouldn't change a thing, kind of came up. And sometimes you just you just know yeah. when you hear something. And so we used that, set up the, the web domain, uh, set up a Facebook, uh, private Facebook group, because I thought, okay, perhaps we might do more of these in the future, but maybe one every couple of years or something like that. Um, and simultaneously, some of the people uh, that were in the video had set up a separate group just to kind of talk about it and celebrate it and so on. So that, I also set up the publishing sort of piece, bits and pieces for future projects with YouTube channel, a sort of public Facebook group to publish videos and so on. Um, that was a needs must because I had originally published it on my own page and I realised how much of a mistake that was. <laughs> <laughs> turns out you can only it turns out you can only get a thousand Facebook friend requests in a day. So you know, so it was my, my Facebook page was meltdown at that at that time. So I thought I'll, I'll need a proper page, you know, you know, the next time. So fast forward a few years, you know, that public Facebook page is the wouldn't change a thing sort of publishing arm as is the YouTube channel. That little Facebook group, the private one that the mothers who appeared in the original video set up themselves is now uh, the change of things support group the other one the private one that i set up is now the the place of work it's the wouldn't change a thing awareness project group and they were not all called that at the same time it was really the point uh, stacy burton now runs it and making chromosomes count had an offer of some money really so so her husband is in the motor racing trade motor racing industry and he uh, one of the helmet manufacturers approached him offering to donate uh, one of their very expensive helmets to be auctioned off for the charity that we didn't have <laughs> but she, uh, she she sent me a message and said like you know should we make a charity and I, I, you know I met some of the expletives that I used at the time but I think we ended up sort of just just going yeah why not you know and um, that became the sort of organising framework for the whole thing because we had to set it up as a proper company we had to put directors in place and so on and that sort of, sort of slowly started to become the kind of hierarchy of the whole piece and the different bits and pieces that were floating around at that time uh, certainly the likes of the support group and so on we just re we rebranded them renamed them all we changed a thing and put them under one umbrella and put different people in charge of different bits and that's the structure that we've been left, we've been left with to, to this to this day brilliant so tell us more let's talk more about the name so i know you said you know it came out of the hashtag wouldn't change a thing so i think it's quite important that you mentioned some had said that what would you like if someone was to describe mm. your child and they said would, they wouldn't change a thing is that truly reflective do you think of the down syndrome community have you had any backlash 
We have the backlash. Uh, I think people sort of, um, in, initially I was quite surprised at some of the backlash that we had because you just, you're doing something positive, uh, the whole world celebrating it and, you know, naively you expect that to be completely ubiquitous and actually, you know, you start to get some pushback after that. And I, rem- I remember quite shortly after the success of the video, there would see Twitter posts with people sort of saying, well, this wouldn't change a thing. Organisation has got such a high market share of those. <laughs> Just use it to terms like even if such a thing as market share exists for Down Central Awareness, you know, we certainly weren't worthy of that accolade at the time. Um, but they were, we were certainly being you know, held to a much higher standard than the size and structure of organisation that we were at that time. We were an organisation at that time. You know, we were, we were criticised for the sort of diversity or lack of diversity uh, of, of, all, of all forms, really, um, in, in the video itself. And all the stuff that you would kind of expect, and actually is appropriate for a large publishing organisation to adhere to, but we were getting kind of, kind of held, immediately held to the standards because we were very much in the, in the public domain. Um, your question is about the Down syndrome community, and I think they, um, yeah, so people take, people take that phrase very literally, like there is literally not a single thing I would change, and, and you know, for all of us who have children with, with a learning disability, there are challenges, for, for sure there are challenges, and some people, particularly those that are going through a particularly difficult time when, when sort of faced with a hashtag, you know, you could understand why they would, they would look at that and say, I'm not sure, I'm not sure I agree with that. Yeah. All I can say is that from, from my perspective, what, what it means to me, when I put it in place, when I put the vision statement in place and so on, what it doesn't say is that there exists no challenges. It doesn't say that. I think it's it's a realist perspective that some of the greatest achievements that you have in life are because and directly attributable to some of the challenges that you faced. Um, and for most people, you know, I think I can't speak for everyone, and I can certainly speak for myself, really. But when all said and done, and you realise sort of where you're at just now, and how connected, interconnected, the happiness that you have, as well as the challenges, you know, if, if someone offered you uh, to remove some of these things, then you, you know, when all said and done, you, you probably would not. Where Down syndrome itself is concerned, in the very early stages, you know, I would absolutely have given Down syndrome back because I, I didn't and understand that, you know, a lot of what I've done since has been largely driven by uh, the guilt of the ignorance that I had at that time that caused me to lose such a a large portion of the, what should be a happy early time. And what I now understand Down syndrome to be is, is part and parcel of quite literally every cell in my daughter's body. You know, it is in her physicality, it is in her personality, it is her and it you know she is it and it is her and the notion if you sort of take on some kind of abstract thought experiment as if it could ever be possible and of course it can but the notion that someone could come along to you and would say you know would you like to take this away would you like to change this would you like to change a thing and that thing being down syndrome we are a down syndrome organization so that's what it relates to um and let's see i said yes to that and I, I have this vision of waking up the next morning and um, opening the door and being faced with a, you know, with a child I've quite literally never met before. And, and that horrifies me um, because I, I sort of have a very clear understanding. Not, it's not saying there are no challenges, but I've got a very clear understanding about how that condition has enriched our lives as well. And given that they all come together as one package, you know, I would not change that. That's really, really powerful. And would you say, it going back to the early days when, like you say, when Rosie was born, and if you came across a campaign such as Wouldn't Change a Thing, the Carpool Karaoke video, do you feel like that's something that might have actually helped you in the early stages with the journey? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that everything I've done since she'd been born, which, which predates would change a thing, predates the 50 Mums video, I used to write articles for newspapers and all that kind of thing, just to kind of shout from the rooftops, this is, this is not what you think. I know you all think what I thought, most of you do anyway, and it's not because nothing I can think of before or since or up to the present day, and I'm sure into the future, uh, will ever be as different, you know, will ever be such a, a sort of birth of difference between I thought it, I thought it was and what it turned, turned out to be. And everything I've done since, yeah, it, these are the things that I wished I had at that time, for sure. Yeah. Brilliant. 
And much of what you do uh, or have done since, as far as we can see and been involved in, is around raising awareness, helping people to demystify as if there is anything to demystify around what it's like bringing up a child with Down syndrome or even indeed people that live with Down syndrome. Do you feel like that's enough as a charity to be able to offer that? You know, is there anything more that you feel like you could or should be doing or plan to do beyond the the campaigns that you've you've had and the powerful campaigns that we just described early on? Had you seen that, that would have helped. But do you think that's that's enough? My personal view is that there's a real danger in formulating a charity in relation to, to the community that we're in, let's say, or or, um, or in relation to specific uh, disability, that it sort of becomes a, a big amorphous mass of stuff uh, that you're just supposed to do. And you end up essentially being a clone in miniature or a half-assed attempt of some of the larger national charities and mm. the things that they do and they support and they do very well anyway. I think there's a real danger of that. And I think what we stumbled upon, particularly with the first video, was something that was not being done and needed to be done. And there was a clear blue ocean here that no one was particularly tackling, and certainly not in the way that we were tackling it. There are pros and cons to everything. Having a child with Down syndrome is no different. The cons are well and truly covered. They're in the medical leaflets and bullet points, you know, that you are issued when you have a child with Down syndrome. Google is not your friend. Uh, the definition of Down syndrome is essentially a whole bunch of stuff uh, that's a deviation from the norm on the downside from what it is to be a typical human being. These little facts and snippets are not the experience that it turns out to be to have it in your life. And the difficulty is, and I, I sort of empathise with uh, people trying to communicate this information and get balanced view, you know, at the point of birth or whatever, because those negative facts are easy to communicate in that way, the little points on a leaflet or, what, or whatever. Communicating the joy of having any child and, and, and a life a life spanning many years of, of, of those, those highs and lows is not an easy thing to communicate. And the medium that we used and have used in, you know, in, in the form of the book, which is all largely imagery and very short quotes quite deliberately directly from parents to show the love that they, love that they have for their children or the videos also trying to exude the love that they have and the joy and the calamity and all the normal sort of stuff around having, having, having children. Mm. We stumbled upon a way to address that and balance that out and for all of the other issues that are there's stuff around screening and termination and you know, so, you know parental support and advocacy in lots of different ways. Other people are out there and they're doing that stuff and they're doing it very, very well in a very, very focused way a lot of the time and it's been a struggle to remain focused actually to continue to take a very finite resource of volunteers and just tackle that one issue that no one's tackling and try our very best not to get drawn into some of those other areas which had we done so would have closed off some of the doors that are most important to such as getting our materials into hospitals and so on um, if they if they perceived this to be a different type of organisation. And just to clarify again, so the people that are involved with the charity and the organisation are so on a voluntary basis? Yes, 100%. So in, in terms of actual activity, I, I do very, very little now. So that you, I, when we when we set the thing up, I was quite insistent that I was going to take on a non-executive role, which essentially means I don't, I don't do anything. <laughs> That's, and I'm, I'm quite sure everyone will, will, uh, will back me up on that. The, the charity is, is now run and has always actually been run by an extremely, you know, forceful, powerful, dedicated bunch of of trustees who really put their heart and soul and uh, they've all they've all got children with with, with additional needs. They, they mainly have jobs as well, uh, complex family lives and all the stuff that goes with that. And they still find their time to really pour their heart and soul in, into this. And surrounding them as a management team of people also volunteers to run everything from our social media uh, to our Facebook support groups, our blogs and, 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 and so on. And people who run an admin administrator support groups uh, and our different Facebook pages. So every single one of them is a volunteer. There's hundreds of them that are in different countries that have the world, but uh, it's, it's an amazing thing that not a single penny has ever changed hands and yet we've been able to achieve what we've been able to achieve. And I guess on that, for me, obviously, you know, we, we also do 
quite a lot of things when it comes to raising awareness, educating others, advocating for, for our child and, and others like him. Sometimes I can't help but feel deflated that A, I have to do this. Well, I don't have to do it, but I, I mean, obviously I choose to do it. If I can, I will do anything I can for my son, for my daughters as well. But it does sometimes really get me down, given we do, as parents, children of a child with additional needs, we, we do have a lot more to do to enable him to be included in school, you know, EHC plans, the therapies, the appointments, etc., etc. We work as well, um, got other children, and then there's this as well. What keeps you motivated to, you know, take on so much and, and keep going? You're absolutely right. It can be extremely difficult. The thing that keeps me motivated or the benefit that I have and, and the benefit that a lot of us that are, that are running this entity have is that we get to see the messages that are coming in. We get to see the impact that the work that we do makes and there's plenty of it. I mean, it dates back to my favourite little story that I always tell when I do a, I do a lecture to um, clinical students at a university every, every year as a, as a parent of a child with, with learning difficulties. And as I tell the story of the video and how it sort of started to take hold, there my favourite moment, or, or at least the moment that I realised this was not or could be more than just a fun video was when I was essentially doorstopped at Rosie's ballet class that I was taking her to. I had somehow drawn the short straw and landed myself with all three children that morning and I was trying to get Rosie out of the ballet class. My phone was still red hot with 50 months stuff going on. I was trying to do up all the kids' jackets and get them all out of there as quickly as possible. And a young girl, about six or seven, I would say, reluctantly, because I'm rather was encouraging her to, to come come up to me. She's, your mother, mother said, go on, I'll go speak to him. And she appeared with a folder, you know, and I thought, what's this? Inside the folder was uh, her, her, her Down syndrome project that she had done uh, off the back of seeing her video. And she, so I actually ended up sitting down the floor and going through this, this project. It was, it was quite a moment because, you can see I'm getting choked up just thinking about it now, because it just struck me, you know, like a bolt of lightning at that time, that here was a potential yeah. friend, schoolmate, teacher, manager, sort of employer of the future, potentially, whose entire worldview related to that condition had been changed. Not because of some sugar-coating exercise, but now because she was informed and motivated herself to do that. So that, that was the kind of moment that I thought, hmm, there might be something, something here that we can do. And, and at that time, we were pushing hundreds of millions of views, and that was one. I suppose that, that's what keeps us going. That's incredible. And do you think that, though, that something like this would have been possible, say, 10, 15 years ago, i.e., are we living in a time right now where, you know, the overriding, I suppose the overriding zeitgeist is something that's about acceptance and equality and therefore actually spreading a message such as this is to some extent easier and more palpable to people out there than perhaps it would have been about 5, 10, 15 years ago? Yeah, well, I mean, there's, there's two parts to, to answering that question. I suppose that the first is that it's technically feasible. You know, I mean, I, I just I just don't think, I cannot imagine, you know, at any time in history how technically, you, you know, any a, a, mem, a, another member of Joe Public could have pulled something like that together and broadcast it to so many people. You know, I, I, there's just no way. I think the, the question really was it was about people's attitudes, though, I think. Um, I, I think there's a willingness certainly that wasn't there before to be far more aware of social justice issues of the rights of all different types of, of uh, diversity and inclusion and acceptance of, of all of those things there def definitely is much more of an openness to that however at the time that we're doing this and, and on many occasions since we've seen the opposite happen we've seen that the same platforms have been used for division and you know I think at that time, I think also there was a yearning for some good news. And there was a yearning for something just to be popular. It wasn't bad news. And it was on the news that wasn't bad news. And uh, that was definitely a factor. And I've been able to capture that, that moment in time, I think. I think so. I, I think as well, if we can change one mindset, right? So there's, there are so, other than the 
you know, we've got wouldn't change a thing. You've got pads. You've got making chromosomes count. You've got m- multiple um, organisations and charities that are doing a, a, you know, Down syndrome association as well, doing a fab job. There is a want. There is a need. And people are open to it now, as you say, about learning more and about trying to do the right thing. Sometimes I worry that are we just in an echo chamber? Is it us as parents and advocates, carers, guardians that are banging our drum? And are we just being heard by parents, advocates and carers? But I think what you said just earlier about that one, that little girl and how that's your your little thing that that you remember and that keeps you going i think that's really important that was really beautiful because it's true like we we all have we all have down days it is challenging Mm. some days more than others having a child with complex needs i think for us i remember really clearly we were potentially picking our house up on the market a few years back and the estate agent that came to our house was talking to me and she came a couple of times, you know, evaluations, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And she asked about Kush and she said, you know, what conditions does he have and what does it mean? And, you know, we were just having a good old chat about it. And I said about the pregnancy and how he was only diagnosed with Down syndrome at birth, et cetera, et cetera. And what it means to me now and, and all the kind of, bits that we do and she met him as well a couple of times then she was on she came I think to do a viewing or something she felt really ill um, and I said are you okay and, you know whatever and she said oh and actually she goes, oh, no one knows but I'm eight I'm eight weeks pregnant and I was like oh wow like congratulations whatever anyway turns out her baby had down syndrome and it was detected in utero and she actually came and spoke to me after and she said do you know what I've just had my 12 week scan and my baby's got Down syndrome we're gonna they were having various conversations with doctors and she said to me because of our conversations because I met Kush I wasn't scared and I'm absolutely keeping my baby no, no matter how you know we all know that the narrative in hospitals is dramatically negative and she just said thank you and I, I could not be, I think what are, the, what are the chances of that happening and she you know she's got two children now she might even be listening to this now I know she follows the page but it is it's that one person right that sticks in your mind and if you can change one mindset and the fact you know 500 million views and everything that, that, that is done I do think it's mind-blowing I know we have a way to go still yeah yeah, I mean, the, the point you made about, about the echo chamber is a really good point. And I think to that point, I would say that what I would love people to understand and inside the digital community in particular as related to food and change of things, because I think this, this gets missed and it sounds like a trivial thing and it's not a trivial thing. Our target audience as a charity that's related to the condition of Down syndrome, our target audience is the general public. Yeah. Shifting any negative outdated perceptions that they have, which is a vision statement, and by by outdated I mean wholly untrue, it's it's not factually correct. This is ignorance in other words, and it's a reflection of how I felt, and correcting that is what we seek to do. And all too often because I think people inside the community are sort of used to Down syndrome organisation equals representative organisation or equals support organisation, you know, actually it looks inwards to the community, it's there for for us and we are there for the community, but we serve the community by correcting correcting, uh, misconceptions outside the community, i.e. the general public. And that that touches everything, you know, so so you're a person who hasn't had a baby with Down syndrome yet, but may as a member of the general public at this moment in time and the fear that you have when you're hit with that news comes from those misconceptions and those ignorances. But equally, someone who's not employing some of the Down syndrome is a member of, or, or, you know, or willfully not employing some of the Down syndrome is a, is a member of the general public who's holding misconceptions. So it's not just something that's targeted at the earliest possible stage. It's not just targeted at the parents. You know, people's ignorance as related to this condition in the whole of the general public affects people with Down syndrome and their parents throughout their entire lives and um, we would love nothing more than to lock the key, the virtual key that wouldn't change the thing door for the very last time knowing that we've corrected that completely. But um, I think I would, I would love people to, to, to understand that is that actually we're trying to correct things outside because we do get it, we are in an echo chamber. And I saw someone comment recently 
on on one of our uh, pages that that, that that had been successful. This had been done. Now we're seeing these kind of things all the time, and you know, I thought, yeah, you're seeing them all the time because because of the exact point you just made, Nisha. You are in an echo chamber. You follow every Down Syndrome page there is. <laughs> you know, I think we get we're still shouting to pretty large dark empty chasm uh, and we always say we're just change, you know, changing minds one set of eyeballs at a time and that's just the way that we look at it but then what about Jamie the parents within the Down syndrome community who have a profound need are we really representative of, of everyone is it too happy clapping? are we open enough about challenges we face and, and if I just add to that like We've seen a lot recently around social media and this idea that, you know, going on social media, you get like a microcosm view of a person's life. And you kind of make some judgments and some thoughts and feelings around what their life is like. And you think, oh, well, wonderful. They must, it's absolutely brilliant. And the charity is largely based on a following and kind of popularity because of social media. So I think both in mind, there's potentially a portrayal of actually life is wonderful and we should celebrate the good Mm. stuff. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But is it fairly reflecting? I think even for those parents that have children with profound needs, but also those that potentially don't, but go through days where actually it is really, really tough. Mm. Yeah. So I've seen a lot of this and this sort of derives from a sort of an absence of, of kind of understanding really I'm not blaming others and blaming that on ourselves perhaps you know we've not communicated as well as we should have perhaps uh, we need to do a better job of that but understanding what it is we seek to do like what, what is the problem we seek to address here and then once you understand that what is what would you say would be the best way to do that and it kind of connects back to what you said previously about a sort of default position that you know, dozens of organisations have to be representative uh, or, you know, or supportive or, or, or inward-looking, if you, if you like. And I think those criticisms are actually framed wrong and they're, they're fundamentally flawed. And, and I'll, I'll go into that to just, just now, if I may. When you recognise that there is fundamentally a perception problem with Down syndrome with the general public, I mentioned earlier that there's pros and cons to everything, right? So quite literally everything is sitting on a set of scales. And every decision you make, every sort of challenge you're faced with, it's seldom binary, right? There's always pros and cons needing weighed up, and this is no different. The cons themselves are covered in droves. They're out, you know, the, the, the cons hit you like a, an absolute ton of bricks. Let's say you're a new parent, you're probably the person that's seeking that information out the most. The leaflets that you get are negative. Wikipedia is negative because the very nature of it is that it's delivering factual information or a condition that the individual elements of which and a deviation on the downside from, from the norm, from, from a typical human. So this sort of set of scales that we've got here, one side of that set of scales is heavily weighted to the ground. It's really, really, really well covered. Okay. So let's say there's 20 kilogram weight on that side and a zero kilogram weight on this side. There's nothing on this side. Mm. Okay. If you come to me and that you say, right, in order for you to correct that, the only way you're allowed to do that is to issue 20 kilogram weights on either side. That doesn't correct anything, right? There is a dearth of information on the side that helps people in that situation understand that there are two sides to this. And what we are trying to do is correct that and be the mistake people make because we actually have the same one, we have the same value, which is that people receive balanced information. But the mistake that they are making is that they think that comes from the point of publishing the information and we're trying to do it at the point of the receipt of the information because we know that they're hit with plenty of negative information and we're trying to make sure that they are also hit and balanced out and receive balanced information by closing that gap that, that currently exists. And there's a real blue ocean there and it's not right and that, that's what we seek to address. However, in our first campaigns when we knew nothing about anything because we were just, you know, all stuff together on phones and we are just a bunch of parents and we thought that was really unfair, all those criticisms that we received about balance and diversity and ability particularly. When we became a proper organisation, that was the, that was, I think it was policy number one. I mean, we actually have a process that we go through to ensure 
that diversity is covered in all its forms and that all abilities are covered in every single video that we have. Um, and there are sense checks along the way to ensure that. So uh, as a criticism of, of not representing people on an ability basis, it's not actually factually correct. And I, I would really hang my hat, hat on that one. And I think when and on the flip side, what we insist is there is that purpose of virtually every video that, or, or literally every video that, that, that leaves wouldn't change a thing is that it's not there to promote abilities and I would, I would really ask anyone to point out where it is there to promote abilities because I know of no video that is yeah. but it is there from the very get-go was to promote the love and connection that you can have with your child because certainly from my perspective that's not what I thought would happen and that was what I thought was not possible. You know, I didn't think I could be happy, I didn't think I could be connected to my child, I love my child and all that's nonsense uh, and none of that has anything whatsoever to do with ability uh, whatsoever and that's what I hope exudes from, from everything we publish. It certainly yeah. does. And that's the thing, right? So everyone that is represented, everyone that appears and everyone that's working behind the scenes, it's all lived experience right it's all real and anyone anyone can be involved yes absolutely yeah Yeah. and and how how can people get involved so if anyone's interested in rolling their sleeves up and doing a bit of work whether it's getting in front of the camera behind the camera promoting stuff to media outlets uh being part of the twitter actually to harangue uh, celebrities, you know, whatever your skill is. If you're a good writer and you want to write blogs, you know, I don't care what your skill is, we've got something you can do for sure. So you can go into Facebook and you can find uh, Wouldn't Change a Thing Awareness Projects, uh, which is where the work is done. You can request to join that and we'll welcome you with open arms uh, and you'll instantly regret it because you'll be given lots of stuff to do. But you'll have every minute of it, I promise. Is this all the stuff that you don't do? It's <laughs> good delegation, fantastic leadership. <laughs> I, yeah, I think it's great. And I, I also think it's really great that you're involved. You're a dad, you're a male role model. I think we need more uh, dads, males involved because there are a lot of mums involved, which is great, but it is really nice to see dads, two of which I'm talking to right you're now. Welcome. You're welcome. Absolute welcome. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I've uh, over the last few years I've been more of a control rod, <laughs> you know, uh, trying to avoid uh, heated discussions and explosions wherever possible. That's 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 my main role when the when the board meetings happen. <laughs> um, Stop, Jamie. I'll, I'm still um, relishing in the like the, the sort of praise that I'm getting there from Nisha. No, I wasn't praising you. I was praising Jamie. Let's be clear. <laughs> so I wanted to talk a little bit about you know a lot of things that've been in the news recently most recently being the case with Heidi Crowther and and Aidan. What are your thoughts uh, on the case and were you shocked with the result? Uh, I'll answer the easy one first. Yes, I was quite shocked with the result. I was not surprised with the result, which is a different thing, but I was nevertheless shocked by the, by the result. I went sort of in peaks and troughs with my expectations. Like initially it was a real David and Goliath thing. Initially I thought, no chance, but good on you. And, um, you know, thanks for sort of bringing it to, to public domain, a hugely brave thing to do. Uh, and it will put it on the radar of lots of people. As, as time progressed and the sort of narrative on it changed a bit, I started to think, well, wait a minute, you know, this, this actually might just go the other way. And then, uh, and then obviously it ended, ended where it ended. But we're always learning. And my views on it sort of evolved and grew as I sort of started to listen and understand the issue more and more deeply. I'd never really before considered in that whole debate for instance, until Heidi made the case that she made, there were not just two sets of rights in this argument. You know, it's a very, it's a very well-trodden debate, right? The rights of the mother and of the parents and the rights of the unborn child. And, you know, depending on your frame of reference, these get pushed, pushed back and forward constantly. As an organisation, wouldn't change things, has never taken any position on screening and termination. I said to you earlier, it's, I mean, Down syndrome happens in people's lives randomly. I'm quite sure we've got you know, all sorts of different views on, on that debate within our groups and within our membership, and that's absolutely fine. And it's not what, what we're about. Um, and even just as our information sort of permeates and gets to parents in, in that situation, it's all about getting them balanced, truly balanced information. Uh, at that time, we're not there to, I would never want to be advocating one way or another in that situation. We're not there to put pressure on people. And certainly, if we did take a position, as I mentioned earlier, the doors would close for us to do good work in hospitals because we'd be seen as anti-something and you know our support groups wouldn't 
feel like a safe place for for parents or potential parents that were in that situation. So for all these reasons, we've never taken a position on it. And this put a lot of pressure on us to take a position on something, at least in some way, connected to screening determination. Uh, and, and we did, and it's the first time we ever have. Um, so we broke a long-standing policy really not to touch it. The reason we took a position on it was because that we recognised there was a third set of rights involved, and that was the living, born, teenage, adult, whatever, uh, members of society with Down syndrome and their rights. And when they get brought into question, it started to become more clear to me that their rights were, their human rights were being infringed with this uh, this policy. And that enabled us to take a position on it. We, we became sort of quite confident this was, this was not correct. In order to clarify, that this is a very, very complex issue. It's really complex. And it's even harder. It's hard for, for me to comprehend. And we live and breathe this stuff every day. So once it then sort of gets into the public psyche, it's virtually impossible to get the message across because, as I say, there is this well-trodden debate. And as soon as people hear certain trigger words, screening, termination, etc., yeah. they, they immediately pigeonhole it into that debate and say, I've, and it short-circuits the whole thinking because they think, I've already got a position on that, here's what it is, uh, you know, and, and it always just gets shut down. Uh, I actually got introduced on ITV News once as a pro-life campaigner, you know, wow. without any uh, prior warning or, or whatever. And had it not been pre-recorded, I would have corrected that on the spot. Yeah. But it came up on the screen, <laughs> you know, and I just thought, God, that, there, there's the problem right there. And there's something in how the television frame thing, frames things. So, you know, you quite often have someone from the Down Syndrome community uh, on the left-hand side of the screen, and the right-hand side of the screen someone from a, sort of an organisation that supports people going through termination. The, the inference being that you don't yeah. support that or, or anti that or something, mm-hmm. you know, and it just frames it that way perfectly and everyone just gets on with their lives and thinks that they understand what's going on. Yeah, we heard from <coughs> Moya, obviously, who was Aidan's mum, you know, a few weeks back, and she she was talking about this, wasn't she, and about actually how this case has really helped educate the media, mm. which is actually, yeah. so when we talk about, yes, we need to talk to the general public, we actually need to talk to the media, and I think this is probably one of the first times they've actually heard what we're trying to say, mm. because immediately when you talk about children or people with disabilities, it always comes into play about abortion, anti-abortion, pro-life, pro-choice, whatever it is, and they really try and, and grab a stance, and this was going down the route of, well, you're taking women's rights away. And actually, because this has been in the news so much recently, I think Moya felt definitely that they're beginning to understand what the point of this case is. And hopefully yeah. that can only help going forward with mm-hmm. appeal. Mm-hmm. So that's, yeah. that's positive. I, I've, what I like about things like this is that it forces you, I bet that what we said about the sort of medium that we use to get our other messages across, it forces you to think of new and unique and innovative ways to try and communicate that message. And, and you know, and just come at it from different angles so that people don't automatically do what I just said that they would do. I quite often sort of, one of those things that I think is, is to imagine that the status quo was in reverse. So if you imagine that parity, you know, was was where we are right now, and knowing the way the attitudes are, what they are right now, you know, you mentioned earlier that how, how accepting, much more accepting people are in the same age of disabilities and all of other things. So if parity was where we were at, and a law was pro- being proposed and trying to be passed to shift that so that actually a certain section of society was viewed so abhorrent that the choice could be made right up to the point of birth to make sure that they never existed, then I think quite rightly, clearly that that section of society would be uh, in uproar. I think mainstream society would be in uproar as well. It's because the status quo is the other way around and because the narrative is what it is, that it starts to connect to that way we'll try them to be, and then it becomes about that again. The other thing that I noticed struck quite a chord, and I saw a couple of people doing this online, I certainly did this, is that I posted our earliest, most beautiful baby photos of Rosie, and said, and basically said, just, just so I'm clear what this is about, like, Rosie could have been euthanised three minutes before this was taken. And in fact, she was three weeks premature, so perhaps even three weeks after this was taken. And people start to understand what you're talking about because this cannot be right and I mentioned the third set of rights earlier you know and that is as I said that group of society if parity was the status quo 
what's that say? Institutionally, you know, our institutions are actually saying that a whole section of society. And how does that impact them, whatever age they are, you know? Yeah. And that would that would be how that would be viewed. And that's how I came to really that, that caused the most major shift for me was actually seeing that there's not just two sets of rights here, there's a third and that's, that's who it is. Well, it's so powerful when you think of it that way. And I think it's quite frustrating and actually quite sad when you think, like we talked about earlier, the overriding feeling right now amongst society broadly is one of acceptance, one of inclusion and one of social justice. Yeah, it's it's very progressive. Yet still we've got this outdated and unfortunate and sad and frustrating and horrible law that exists, which is close to eugenics as you're going to get effectively saying because of someone unborn to that extent that late because of their apparent disability you're worth less yeah and, and i think it just it just it speaks volumes uh, in terms of that group in our society and how or it speaks to them certainly how little they must they, they should be valued at an institutional level i mean it shows you how behind something like down syndrome is compared to a lot of other things mm. so if you ask someone uh, that has down syndrome about their down syndrome they probably wouldn't want to change a thing in the main i think they regard it as no no one anything else for a start it's a, it's probably trivial to them it's a trivial fact about themselves but equally it's in every cell of their bodies as I said earlier and it is an important part of who they are and it's something that they probably value very, very deeply and if you think of if it weren't Down syndrome it was something that was as genetic but something that's far more accepted now so if it was the colour of someone's skin or if it was their sexual orientation or all these other sort of areas that have progressed so much more there would be an absolute outcry and I think the thing that surprises me most often is when all of these debates play out no one's asked them yeah. <laughs> no one's asked them you know that group of societies that we're talking about making these sort of sweeping changes to their very existence no one's asked them I think it's really sad it, it was so interesting with Moya I think one thing that really struck a chord with me was the data or the research that the law predominantly is based on at least what they were looking at in terms of the case was on the basis of like 30, 40 years ago um, or potentially longer yeah where the outcomes for anyone with any disability including Down syndrome was basically completely written off because ultimately they just get completely institutionalised and actually if the focus now was just so much more rather than have this debate around whether they should whether they shouldn't and timings etc beyond like okay well we know early intervention for example is such a profound has such a profound impact Mm. let's put all of our efforts into that let's put extra money into that and actually the outcome is going to be huge because the contribution that these people can therefore then have to society is is absolutely is, is huge Absolutely. I mean, we, we really, really need to be careful what we wish for as a society, right? I mean, the, the, I um, originally, you know, when put, we, we put Rosie into mainstream school, I thought it would benefit her. I hadn't even considered how much it would benefit the rest of the class. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, yeah. and it's little realisations like this that you have along the way you go, actually, you know, to yourself. Like the challenges and changes to your own personal value system and how much you sort of would never undo that. The impact on our siblings and how they just intrinsically see past disability because they've never known anything else. Yeah. The value that will bring to them in their lives. And yet, and that's in a sort of microcosm that the impact of having someone with, 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 with a dis- disability in our immediate locus has had on us. You know, so we need to be careful what we wish for, taking that kind of thing out of society as a whole. Really careful. Now, Jamie, amongst your number of, uh, what's the terminology? Strings that you've got on your bow. <laughs> Is it that? <laughs> Sorry, like that. Accolades <laughs> that you that you have. You most recently won a Pride of Scotland award. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Tell us about that experience. <laughs> Still a bit embarrassing. Oh well, that, that was, was an experience. Good. Yeah, I'll tell you about that experience. <laughs> right? Okay. Um, I mean, if you looked from the outside, then it was just blindingly obvious that that's what's happening to me. But I mean, it, you know, it's just I had a, a week or maybe two weeks just of a series of really odd things happening. And now when you put them together, it's, it's obvious. But um, <laughs> like for for instance, my wife uh, Victoria surprised me with a Father's Day trip to London for the weekend, which you know never look a gift horse in the mouth. But I thought, okay, 
Uh, <laughs> 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 Waiting for the credit card bill to arrive. Um, and as does happen, one of the trustees of the charity said, uh, would you mind doing a quick interview for a newspaper, you know, a couple of days' time? Uh, I said, yeah, sure. Diary had a couple of hours free. What newspaper is it? The Daily Record, which is in Scotland's the Mirror Group newspaper in Scotland. Fine. The guy turned up. Was, and it was a video interview, and uh, you know we've done quite a lot of media stuff, right? And, and he did say to me after after the fact, once the cat was out the bag, you know, people that have a bit of media experience are the hardest people to do this with because you're going. So Daily Record, what's, what's the budget for, for this? Because there was a, a separate photographer arrived and a video guy, you know, just mm-hmm. asked me lots, grilled me, asked me lots of questions, making me cry in my garden, yeah. and. And then it just goes away again. You think, I'm oh, fine, you know, whatever. And then, you know, we get tripped down to London, as I say. Uh, that was comical because uh, just before we got on the flight, we discovered that Victoria's passport has expired just a couple of weeks previous. Oh, no. And I said, don't worry, it's fine. You can't, it's a domestic flight. You can use your driver's license. Couldn't find your driver's license. <laughs> so I was sort of, it was, a, it was a BA flight. I was sort of hunting online to see what the policy was. Very unclear was the answer. And I found a, tweet to them from a couple of years ago where they answered and said no an expired passport was okay as proof of ID and the next I was like yes you know <laughs> but actually I was pretty relaxed I was just like oh do you know it's an easy jet later we'll just turn up there but it's fine let's not worry about it little did I know on the other end of Victoria's phone was an entire production team uh, Gordon Ramsay and his uh, and his his team and his PA all waiting to see if we got on this flight and sure enough we did I later found out that the, the events team uh, were on the phone to the head of operations for British Airways to see if they could make a special dispensation for us. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, we'll go with these. So we got there, had a late sort of tie meal, two or three courses, a couple of drinks, um, and I woke up early the next morning because Victoria, they were only drip feeding Victoria stuff as well, so she didn't know what was coming. And she woke me up to say, Another surprise, we've got a, you know, sort of brunch. <laughs> I mean, does she surprise you often? Were you like... No, never, <laughs> literally never. So, yeah, she said we've got a sort of brunch night at Gordon Ramsay restaurant. Again, I was like, oh, I was still stuffed from the night before, but again, no one's like a gift horse in the mouth. I was like, all oh, right, hey, that's nice. Thank you, you know. And she said, we've got a taxi coming outside, and outside we went, the, the taxi was a chauffeur-driven 7 Series BMW. I'm thinking, oh, God's sake, Victoria, why can't you just get a hack like everyone else? Uh, so, and then we got, and, um, and yeah, we arrived at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, which looked like a studio, there was lights everywhere, and someone came up and stuck a mic on me and said, look, it's a new restaurant, we're just sort of doing some box pops for social media pages and stuff, you know, do you mind? Yeah, and I was like, really? Oh. It's a bit of a hassle, but uh, but then I watched them go around and do it to all the other diners as well. Right, okay. And I thought, oh, okay, fair enough. Turns out there were no other diners. So they all turned out to be the crew and photographers and all sorts of different things. So um, Gordon Ramsay popped in. Uh, I dread to think what they've got on record of and through that mic of me saying when he popped in. I distinctly remember joking that he might go into his own kitchen and like do what he does in kitchen nightmares and find off chicken in the back of the freezer and shut the place down. But um, thankfully I never used that. <laughs> so, so yeah, he, he, he disappeared for a while and then jumped out with the award and surprised me. And it was all a bit strange. Then we did a walk ceremony a couple of weeks after to attend, which was on the TV so, up here. So basically Victoria got you a Pride of Scotland award for Father's Day. I think niche needs to up your auntie. Lovely. Yeah, something. Yeah, that's one way to look at it. <laughs> Another way to look at it is she's an extremely accomplished liar, and I don't know where she's honed her skills, but I'd like to. That's brilliant. No, congratulations. I mean, it is it's very much uh, well deserved. So well done. Fabulous. And actually, the charity has also won an award recently. There's been awards galore happening this year. So you yep. recently won a um, ICV. NDA award? Yes, yes, it's the National Diversity Awards. Uh, is a, a major ceremony in Liverpool each year, and uh, that was just a couple of months ago. And uh, there's all sorts of different categories. So we were in the community organisation category. Uh, I think it was another eight. I mean, m- mine wasn't competitive, if you know what I mean. So, you know, we, once you get to the world ceremony, you knew you were getting, and it was all just sort of, you know, that was just there for to have an event around it. Uh, this was competitive. This was like, you know, there's lots of quite established, well, you know, well known. 
worthy organisations in our group. And I think we just thought we were delighted to have been nominated. There was 65,000 nominations, uh, apparently, before the shortlist. So we were just caught out to be there. And we just thought, oh, it's great, you know, but there's no way we'll win. We're so young compared to these other organisations. And I was absolutely delighted, I have to say, because I was, re- I never asked for the win before. You know, it was great exposure for everything that we've done. I wasn't going to say no to it for sure, but it did feel a bit me when I know that actually the lion's share of the world has got us to where we're at just now has been done by so many other people. And like, if I could have sort of shredded it up into lots of pieces of it. Uh, to give them all a piece of it, I would have done that. I really felt that way. But this was for everyone. It was for the charity as an organisation and all the work that we've done. And I was really, really delighted for, for, for the exec team particularly because they put their hearts all into I mean, it was just brilliant. And, and as you say, yeah, I think it's for everyone who works so hard for the charity, everyone that shares, that tells people about it, I think only good can come from it. And, Wow, who would have thought, hey, three years on, the number of accolades is just unbelievable. It's amazing. We are all so grateful for, to you and the team, for what you do. I still can't believe it's only three years. It's still, it's still jars it when you say three, three years. I think it, it must be more than that. Yeah, it must be. <laughs> it's incredible, absolutely incredible what you've all achieved. So, so much more that can be done, right? We're only just beginning. Uh, that's that's very true. Um, and as, as I said earlier, there's no egos here. No one wants to be doing this. We don't want to have to do it. You know, it's a calling more than anything. Like we've changing things. A movement more than as an organisation. It's very organic. It's very sort of democratised. And it's the power of you know things like vision statements. I'm a management consultant by trade, right? And th- things like vision statements are all too often and usually are. Let's face it, things that corporate statements corporations put on their website to be seen to have it there and because they're supposed to and actually our vision's everything that we have we're not paying anyone you know and I think it's, it's a really powerful thing to have a whole community of people signed up for and aligned behind a common vision and we use it we literally use it and use that statement to choose projects to select ideas where we the ideas we've got up against that and, and those ideas ability to deliver that versus the other ideas that we have and for me and, and my sort of um, commercial world that I live in it's reignited and really educated my understanding of how powerful that component can be when done right Thank you, Jamie. You've been a pleasure to speak to. Um, Thank you. Before we end, we always end every podcast uh, with three... So we're going to give you the start three sentences and we would like you to finish them for us. (laughs) The first one being, the best thing about being Rosie's dad is... The best thing about being Rosie's the wouldn't change uh, the, the sort of greatest showman dances that I get at half six in the morning every morning when she wakes up with the Alexa which is mastered and I can't think of any way I'd particularly like to get up at half six in the morning but it's a pretty good one <laughs> so I have to get up at that time it's a pretty good way so that's probably the best thing at the moment <laughs> number two the most helpful thing people can do for the charity is share what we have share the things that we publish and put as many eyeballs as they can that is within their power to put on it and you know so if you have two friends show them if you're in the media get it on national television you know use use whatever power that you have personally because i hope the work that we've put into creating the piece means that all it has to be all it has to be done at that point is to be put in as many eyeballs as possible so yeah anyone can help us thank you the last one in five years time the biggest achievement for wouldn't change a thing will be in five years time the biggest possible achievement for wouldn't change a thing is that the headline is wouldn't change a thing closes the job is done absolutely love it agreed brilliant amazing absolutely brilliant thank you so much yeah it's been a pleasure and yeah as always, if anyone wants to help, get involved, please do. Please contact the charity. You can contact them through Facebook, as Jamie mentioned, Instagram, search them, Twitter, all the channels, and, and get involved. So thanks very much. Cheers, Thank Jamie. you. It's been a pleasure. Likewise. Thank you very much, guys.
Coffee and Chromosomes is brought to you by the charity Wouldn't Change a Thing, creating a world where negative perceptions of Down syndrome are a thing of the past. If you'd like to hear about a particular topic or from a certain individual, email us at podcast at wouldn'tchangeathing.org.